I'm in the new theatre in Newtown with Alex Bryant-Smith, director of Next Lesson, which is showing as part of this year's Queer Fringe, just hours before opening night. Hi Alex, thank you so much for seeing me today. That's my pleasure, thanks for having me. Next Lesson is a story that begins in the 1980s in mm -hmm. the UK. Can you tell us a little bit more about the story? So the play, yeah, it starts, as you say, in the late 80s in Thatcher's uh, Britain, and uh, it looks at the... Well, I guess the effects, the ramifications of a particular piece of legislation that she brought in um, in 1988, uh, Section 28, which prohibited the promotion of homosexual relationships as being equal to uh, heterosexual ones. It's, it's a pretty insidious and nasty little piece of legislation. What it meant was that there was very limited uh, resources available for students, particularly teenagers, in that really crucial part of their development when they're you know, discovering things about themselves, about their sexuality. Uh, it meant that teachers risked their jobs if they were out openly. Uh, it also impacted on what could be taught in schools, particular texts, particular plays. Yeah, it examines the, the effect of that piece of legislation and it's done through the lens of one particular school in South London. The story follows Michael. Uh, we meet him in the first scene as a teenager who comes out to his mother in the waiting room of the headmaster's office and then it tracks his life basically. He goes away from high school and comes back as a teacher at the same school. So his story is sort of the spine of the play but it's not just his story. We see, we meet a lot of other characters, staff, students, um, other members of you new know, teachers at the school um, over the 20 odd years that the play is set. So it spans 1988 through to 2006. Mm. What made you choose to direct this particular production? Uh, well, I worked at The New earlier this year um, as assistant director on August Osage County with Lou Fisher, the artistic director, uh, directing that one. And it was sort of out of that experience and that relationship that I was offered this particular play to direct for The Fringe. So I was very blessed that um, someone like Lou stepped in and asked me to do this play. When I first picked up this play I was a bit hesitant because I mean the, the play is fantastic it's just, as soon as I read it I, I thought this is a very well written piece it's great for fringe it's a series of two-handed scenes basically so yeah. it's um, structurally a great play for for a fringe festival. Um, each scene has a very clear central conflict and being that my background is as an actor it really appealed to me because it was I could, I could get it straight away. I could see what the conflict was and what the characters were doing to try and get what they want. But I thought, mm, is it my story to tell? I had some reservations about that. You know, the more I read it, the more I realised that, sure, it's a queer piece, with mm. my little air quotes there, queer piece. Yeah. Um, but it actually has universal themes about love, about grief, about bureaucracy, regulation self-censorship these are things that we all deal with mm. and it just views it through the lens of the experience of these queer characters the the beauty of this piece is that it's not queer in the way that some other queer theater is it's it's basically just these characters happen to be gay yes. which i kind of really love it's it's it normalizes it at, at the same time as obviously dealing specifically with a piece of legislation that affected the queer community yes it also presents these characters as just people who want to have the same thing that everybody does. Yeah, because I myself actually grew up in, in Thatcher's Britain at right. that time as a queer woman and I can relate to this story on, mm. on many levels. Yeah. It was actually West London that I grew up, not right. East London, but I went through a lot of 
probably the same things that Chris went through. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting for me to watch that. Now, rather than this being an all too important history lesson, how have you been able to make Next Lesson relatable to younger Australian audiences? Well, I mean, that's the other thing is that the play does read as very 90s and very British in the way that the characters relate to each other and also, you know, references scattered through the piece. But there are some huge parallels to, to and of course the fight is, is far from over. Mm. Um, you know, well, I'm sure we, we have same-sex marriage here now, finally, particularly the school setting, I think. A lot of the younger characters are, could probably teach the older people something and that they're a lot more at home in their own skin, they're a lot more confident about their sexuality and we also certainly see the impact of Section 28 across across the years. And funnily enough, even in the later scenes, which actually the last two scenes happen 2003-2006, so Section 28 was repealed in 2003, but even in those scenes that happen after the repeal of the legislation, we see the lingering effect, we see how imposed censorship can become self-censorship. You know, this debate that's been raging in the Australian media for the last few years, fueled by the incumbent right-wing conservative government that we have around safe schools or, you know, chaplains in schools. These debates around the place that exploration of queer identity has in the education system is a very current one, I think, here in Australia. So it is very applicable, I think, inherently. Yeah, I think actors also work very differently here to the way they do in London. So there's a very Australian flavour to the mm. to the acting and to the the way that the piece is being staged as well. Have you been in conversation with the writer at all? I have had the opportunity to. This whole project's been a big learning curve for me. I'm still at the beginning of my journey as a director, and um, I won't use the word regret, but I think one of the things that I would next time have done differently would be to engage with him a lot more. I have had limited conversation with him on social media, and there's actually a a production of this play happening in London right now. Oh, wow. So he's got his play on, on opposite sides of the globe at the same time, and Chris is a prolific user of social media so I um I've been following his posts around that production with with glee I I keep intending to reach out to him in the madness that is fringe um, yes. it has fallen by the wayside so yes. if you hear this Chris we are loving doing your play and we're really proud of the work we're doing and I'm sure you would be too so yeah so this is actually your first foray into directing isn't it Alex I have directed smaller pieces before um, and I have assistant directed a couple of times. Um, this is my first time at the helm, so to speak. I mentioned before that this piece structurally is brilliant for Fringe. Mm. However, it is a full-blown play. It has something like 16 or 17 characters, four actors playing that many characters. There's 20 costumes. There's at least eight different locations. It's ambitious, and the time that we've had to put it on is has added to that feeling of it being quite an ambitious undertaking. So I've learned a lot, and it is my first foray into that kind of role. Mm. Tell me a little bit about your actors. Did you say there were there were four actors? Four actors, yeah. I was lucky enough to read a, an earlier draft of the play in which there was it was written for six actors to double. Yes, that's right. Originally, yeah. when it was written in 2015. Yeah, yeah, but it went, underwent a workshop process in New York, um, and as a result of that, it was rewritten for four actors, um, Mm -hmm. doubling across all the roles, doubling, tripling, quadrupling across the roles. The actors that I've been lucky enough to find are are a gift. Um, I 
I did do quite extensive auditions and you know with my background as an actor I know what it is to audition and to to constantly be searching for that opportunity to to kind of whittle it down to a shortlist and then make offers and then um, mm. end up with the four brilliant uh, actors that I have. Mm. And what made these particular actors uh, so exceptional? Uh, because of the structure of this piece being all these two-handed scenes, I basically threw all the actors in cold. Uh, I gave them half an hour to 40 minutes in pairs and worked with them, gave through direction at them, saw how they responded to that, saw how they talk to each other, listen to each other. The, these guys who I've ended up with were just the ones that just seemed to click the most in the auditions. Makes the choice easy by being undeniable, you know? Yes. Which is always a, a fantastic moment when, you, when you're in an audition and an actor walks in and does that. But when it happens, it's pretty amazing, yeah. Sonia Kerr is, uh, was probably on the, on the piece the earliest out of all of them. Yeah, she's, she's brilliant. I worked with her on August Osage County earlier this year and I've worked with her in the past. Um, she, she's just finished in She's Shakespeare, which I think you saw yes, um, last week. So her availability was, a, was an issue with her, yeah. but um, I really wanted her on the production. So we worked around that and, you know, in the limited time that she's had, she's just brought so much to it. Michael Brinley, who's playing Michael, um, mm -hmm. who is the, the character we've track through the play. He has just such an alive physical energy that I just found so attractive. He's not a very heady actor, he's much more about throwing it around on the floor, which which appeals to me. That's yeah. how I like to work as an actor. Jens, who's playing who's playing a number of roles, he's well, first of all, he's incredibly good looking, which always helps. Mm. Not that that's why he got the role, but you know, <laughs> not, a, not a bad quality to have as an actor. But he's also incredibly versatile. He's, he's got a music theatre background. He can act, he can dance, he can sing. He's the, he's the classic triple threat. For this particular role, he just brought a kind of poise to it. He plays a lot of characters who, I don't know, formal in their bearing, and mm. he kind of brings that with a slight campness as well, which, which I think, you know, lends itself to the piece. Beautiful. And Kat Tate, who's playing, again, a number of characters, she walked into the audition and uh, I gave her the opportunity to do this particular speech. Uh, Chloe, she's this young teenage character who speaks like Catherine Tate, you know, am I bothered, I'm not bothered. Yeah. She did that speech and I was like, well, the role's yours. You know, yeah. That was, that was kind of undeniable. She got you straight yeah, away. Yeah. What were the major challenges you were faced with when you were directing this production? Well, for me, coming from an acting background, the the work with the actors came really naturally, and um, you know, I, I threw myself into that with gusto and enjoyed every moment of it. The the parts of the process that didn't come so naturally to me were the design elements. Uh, luckily, I had Sally Ann Facer come on board to the production. She has just been an absolute godsend. You know, she sourced all the costumes. She so having her as a support mechanism has been invaluable. Mm. And what was her role? She's the designer. Okay, yeah, brilliant. So she's designed the costumes and and the set in collaboration uh, with myself. The part that I've really struggled with has been the sound design, and it's been a big learning lesson for me that when the script says in between every scene music begins, music stops, you should probably have a sound designer on the piece. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we didn't, so we made do with, with what we had, which was me. So I've actually had a very steep learning curve there and come up with the sound design myself. That's probably the part that I'm the most nervous about at the mm. moment. Have you slept? The last couple of nights, sleep has been 
a little bit elusive. Hasn't been too bad. I mean, I, I've heard horror stories of sound designers pulling all-nighters leading up to shows, so they weren't quite all-nighters, but they were close. So, next lesson is playing. It's playing at the New Theatre. That's part of Queer Fringe at the New. It's on at varying times. You know, classic Fringe style, we've got multiple shows on in the venue every night, so we're bumping in, bumping out, backing them up against each other. But it plays uh, tonight, uh, Thursday the 13th of September at 8pm. And again on Sunday, the 16th at 7pm. Then next week, Monday and Tuesday, 8pm and 6pm respectively. And then the final two shows are Friday and Saturday, the 21st and the 22nd at 6pm and 7pm. That's great. Yeah. Thanks very much for your time. Alex. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.